Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Uh, one of the first rules of public speaking is you never apologize for what you're going to say ahead of time, right? Right. And generally try not to give disclaimers. Um, so I'll just beg your patience this morning, okay? Because we are going to delve into Hebrews chapter 6. And I just thought it was interesting. This is one of the commentaries that's uh, from our church library. And I also just put in a little plug. If you've never visited our church library, it's right down the hall on the way out to the west parking lot on the upper level. And uh, we have an excellent library, um, and that's also because we have an extra, excellent librarian. Uh, she has served in uh, two colleges uh, professionally, full-time as college librarian, Christian colleges. And uh, she works diligently to have a good um, resource of books, both for fiction, nonfiction, Bible study, children's material. And I'd encourage you. I, I, I have checked this one out, though, for the time I'm preaching, so this is mine for a little bit here. Um, this is a great commentary in Hebrews, and listen to what this author, this is George Guthrie, Ph.D., Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, also co-author of Biblical Greek Exegesis, okay? So, here's what he says about this passage. Listen carefully. It is no exaggeration to designate the passage we now consider as one of the most controversial in the book of Hebrews. Indeed, one of the most disputed in the entire New Testament. It would not be surprising, therefore, if some readers of this commentary, reading this book, have come first to this spot in the volume to see where I stand on this issue of apostasy. So, there you have it. From a Greek scholar, a New Testament professor, uh, that the passage that we are going to uh, look at this morning is one of the most disputed passages in the New Testament in terms of interpretation and understanding. Okay? So it's not an apology. It's not a disclaimer. But it's just an appeal to let's have a little patience as we look in this together. Okay? Good enough? That was bad. Good enough? Yeah. Amen. Okay, there we go. Let's, let's pray. Father, as we open this passage, and we do come to a passage that uh, has a lot to say. And it's a very important passage of Scripture. It's your word. And we pray that our hearts would be open to it, that your words are the words that would be heard this morning. And as we leave this place, we would continue to worship and contemplate. We have, we have worshiped and contemplated through your word, through song this morning. And now as we look into your word, might we continue to do so. Uh, we love you. You are a good God. You've been so good to us. And we just thank you for the privilege of gathering as a free people this morning to open your word. We never take this for granted. In Christ's name, amen. Now, Ephesians chapter 6, <clears throat> last week we left off in chapter 5, obviously, and we're doing one chapter a week. And of course, this is the challenge now, because having said this is a very, can be a very complicated uh, passage, obviously we could spend a lot more time on it. But in this particular study, we are going through one chapter a week. So that means that you need to do some reading and some thinking on your own. Uh, ask questions. Feel free to ask me questions. Any of our pastors, any of our teachers, we'd be glad to discuss this more with you. 
And as we come to this passage, he also makes a point in the commentary, which I think is important, is that we come to these type of passages that have some difference of opinion with our own uh, uh, predetermined kind of theologies. And I'll just tell you up front, in case you're visiting this morning, our church does stand strongly uh, behind the, the doctrine, the Reformed doctrine, tradition actually, the Reformed church of the Reformation of eternal security. It's actually one of the pillars that our church was really built on. Uh, along with our dispensational theology, it's a part of that, that we believe that when you are saved, when God creates a new creation, behold, all things are become new, you are a new creation in Christ, uh, you will not ever become an old creation, that you are a new creation forever. We call this eternal security. Uh, Paul talks in Ephesians and Corinthians about being sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. That is that is sort of my pre-approach to this passage, so of course it's going to impact how I look at it. Those who believe, and these are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is an in-house discussion, these are evangelical Christian brothers and sisters who also believe that it is possible to lose your salvation, to get to the point where uh, you walk away enough that, that you lose your salvation. Uh, and so you will approach this passage from that uh, prerequisite as well. The appeal is to look at this passage uh, in its context, and I remind you where we've been the last few chapters. We have discussed the context of this passage, the book of Hebrews. This has always been called the epistle to the Hebrews. These are Hebrew Christians. That's, that's the understanding the church has always had. They are Christians. They are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. They are saved. They are forgiven for their sins because they have received Christ. As their Savior, in this case, as their personal Messiah as well, coming from this Jewish background. That is, that is the background of this book. We saw earlier that the appeal was made to the, the desert generation. The generation in the desert that were not allowed to enter God's rest. And I suggested to you this had to do with the blessings of resting in God's presence, of worshiping in the land they gave up that blessing by their sinfulness. They did not lose their covenant position before God because, as I mentioned, if you say they did, you have to apply the same thing to Moses and Aaron because Moses and Aaron also were not allowed to enter the promised land because of their disobedience at another point. And they were disciplined as well. They, I don't think anybody would say Moses gave up his eternal standing before God. This has to do in that section with God's blessing, God's rest in the land of being fruitful in the land and serving him there, that they gave that up. In chapter 5 at the end, we, it's interesting, um, we leave off in chapter 5 uh, in verse 10 with the word, the phrase, the priest in the order of Melchizedek, talking about Jesus Christ. At the end of our chapter today, he, he says the same thing. So he, at the end of chapter 6, he has become a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then he's going to launch into this discussion about what this means. This is sort of, not sort of, this is a deep discussion. And it's interesting that from chapter 5, verse 10, to chapter 6, at the end of the, at the end of chapter, verse 20, we almost have this kind of parentheses he starts the discussion of Melchizedek, he stops, and then he comes back to it, and it becomes the focus of the next chapters. And that theme of what it represents becomes the focus of the rest of the book. So his parentheses in the middle is another appeal to these people, 
And you notice he, he begins it in verse 11 of chapter 5. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. And he describes it as being an infant. An infant that is just starting out their growth process. They can only, they can only be nourished with milk. And eventually gets to the point where they should be taking food and growing. And he says, you're still at this infant stage. You should have been past this by now. You should have been growing. You should have been maturing. You should have been understanding God's word. And then he goes on chapter 6 and says the same thing. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. That is to perfection and sense of fulfillment, completeness. Not laying these foundations of repentance, of faith in God, instructions about baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Now you might think, well, wait a minute, those are pretty deep subjects, right? I mean, resurrection from the dead. But they were basic understandings already in Judaism. The whole idea of water washings, of repentance, of laying on of hands for blessing, of the resurrection from the dead. The Pharisees clearly taught this. They had been, the Sadducees didn't, but the bulk of Judaism believed this. And eternal judgment. These were basic teachings. And the basic teachings about Christ that they should now have been moving on to spiritual maturity. But there is this pull, evidently, I believe, and I, and I think you'll find this in the commentaries as well. There apparently, I think, is this pull of these Jewish, I think they're Jewish believers, and we'll get into that, that they are being pulled back into Judaism, back into the system of the law, back into what is comfortable, back to where they came from, and not freeing themselves from that and moving ahead to what God is doing now with the church, the body of Christ, the new entity, the new people of God. They are being drawn back to this. And he comes here in verse 4 then. Look what he says. Now, this is the, con- this is the controversial passage. Here it is. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because of their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. This is the passage that, this is a challenging passage in many ways. Now, again, you might think, well, no, it's not. I've got to figure it out. I know what it is. Well, Lord bless you. <laughs> you know, but um, but uh, let's, let's be open and talk about this and, 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 and consider some things here. Now, the controlling word here is, now I, I appreciate your attention. I, you, you're listening well, but I appreciate it because this, this is the Bible study. I, I, I got that, okay? Thank you. Thanks, Kimmy. Appreciate the good affirmation there. This is the Bible study this morning. And, um, and I appreciate it, and I, and I know that uh, we're all at different levels in our understanding and walk, but just bear with me, and um, you can read and you can think about this on your own more, of course. The controlling word is impossible. He starts this phrase out, and he throws it to the front of the phrase, just like you might do if you were, do, if you were writing something. You throw it to the front of the phrase to really put the emphasis. You could put it later on, but he says, he starts, it is impossible. It's impossible. And then he lists several things that have taken place for these people. And you'll notice these are all what we call aorist Greek term, which simply means they're point action. They're completed actions. They're completed actions. Okay? That's the emphasis. And the things he says about these people, they have tasted the heavenly gift. 
shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of God's word and the powers of the coming age. And there are many who look at this and say, okay, obviously what we're talking about here, we're talking about here about people who never were saved. They never were, they never had genuine faith in Christ. This is one understanding, and I, understand, and I appreciate that. That these are people who have come close. You know, they, we could say the same thing today. There may be people who come even to the fellowship, and they, and they, ta- they, they come and they taste of the worship, and they, and they taste of God's love and grace. They hear God's word. They, they're exposed to it, but, but they never make that decision to receive Christ as Savior. And we know that's true. We all know that's true. We all have had that experience with, with people, maybe our own family members, and we say, you know, did they ever really accept Christ? There's, just, there's no fruit for decades. That's a whole other, that's another topic that's connected to this, of course. However, when he says here, they have tasted the heavenly gift, and they have tasted the goodness of the, word, of the Lord. These, how these words are used elsewhere in the New Testament does not suggest just tasting and not swallowing. They suggest total participation. And, we, and, 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 and the most obvious one we've already seen in our study where, it's, where we saw that Jesus tasted death for everyone, right? Remember when we studied that? Jesus, that's the same word. He didn't just taste it and not, no, he, it's clearly, he tasted, he ate it, he participated. That's what it means. And, and I think that word, the author already having used that word and referring to Christ, it has to be the same thing here. These are people who have full participated. They have tasted, they have taken it in. These are people who have been enlightened. That word elsewhere used in Paul's epistles and used in the general epistles has the idea of people who have received the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, fotizo, you know, photo, okay? It's the same. So every one of these words, if you look at them in the New Testament, consistently have to do with people who have genuinely shared in Christ. So I'm going to go on record as saying, I think the people he's talking here, talking to here, are people who have received Christ as Savior. They have genuinely tasted, just as Jesus tasted death for me and for them. That's what he says. Now, here's the difficulty. Verse 6, how can we teach eternal security? I mean, after all, if you say, well, these are people that were saved in that early portion of the book of Acts, yes. But did those people lose their salvation? Weren't they also eternally secure once they have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ? The covenant of God is without repentance. And he, and he says here, if they fall away, and this is where we get the word apostate. This is the word, it's a very rare word. Um, how it's used here is the only way it's used in the Bible in this particular form. It's the word to to fall away, to apostate. You all know what that means. We've, we've used that. That's a word used in our language, apostate, in our, in our Christian terminology. We've used that before. If they fall away, go back to the controlling word. It is impossible. And that means, I don't know if you've seen some of those commercials on TV of a certain tax software, right? <laughs> it means nothing means nothing, that type of thing. Um, maybe we're watching different shows. I don't know. Anyway, and on the way to church today, Jean, Jean Berg, where are you, Jean? Jean said, uh, well, Teresa asked Jean, who are you for in the Super Bowl today? And she said, well, I haven't really got a dog in that fight, so, you know, I don't really care. I'm, a, I'm assuming she's referring to the Puppy Bowl, right? <laughs> are you aware of the Puppy Bowl? The seventh annual Puppy Bowl is today, okay? All right, just, that's, a, that's a side light there. That goes on today, too. Okay, 
So, the word impossible means impossible. That's what it means. It doesn't mean improbable in the Greek. It means exactly what it says in English. If they fall away, if they apostate, it's impossible to bring them back to repentance. Now, that throws in another little curve, if you will, because... um, Generally, those who teach that you can lose your salvation, teach you can also get it back again, right? That's generally what is taught. Now, there are those positions that you will lose it forever, but generally, you can recover that salvation through repentance and coming back to the Lord. Not in this case. It couldn't be any clearer. It is impossible to bring them back to repentance. Why? Because they are, and this is another hard thought. This, 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 you know, this is hard. They are crucifying the Son of God all over again. So what, what is going on here? What is happening in this passage here? Well, the next phrase, the next verses 7 and 8, might help throw some more light on it. Think of the agricultural context. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receive what? The blessing of God. The blessing of God. I'm going to tell you, I think we can remove from this whole context here the idea of eternal damnation, eternal salvation. We are talking about, as we did earlier, the generation in the wilderness, we are talking about the blessing of God. And if the land that is rained upon and continues to be rained upon and it continues to produce a crop, it's a blessing. But if that land produces thorns and thistles, it's worthless and in danger of being cursed. And in the end, it will be burned. Now, this connects back to the previous passage about if 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 they have tasted of this, they participated and they, can, and they reject, they go back, it's impossible to bring them back to repentance. And he goes into this analogy of the land, and land that is rained upon. I was just looking at our yard, mentioning trees yesterday. I mean, last August, last September, last October, I looked at our front yard, and I said, for sure, this is the year. This grass is not coming back, right? It was so dry this year. And ours is an old lawn. We live in a, in a house that's, you know, 100 years old, and it's an old, it's, and, the, and it, it, I thought for sure, this is year. Go out there this morning and look at it, except for a few patches uh, where the dog likes to be. Um, <laughs> it's a little dog, so fortunately, it's, anyway. And, uh, and it's beautifully green growing, and I need to cut it. And it's February, it has, it has drank the, the water from the skies, God's blessing, and it has refreshed. But places where it has not refreshed, and there are some places that some moss and stuff, I'm having to kill it. I'm going to have to redo it. I'm going to have to plant seed and start over again. Look at the analogy here. What is going on? What is happening to these people? And incidentally, before we, if you look at the next section, verse 9, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case. It is we, the third person, it's we. Listen, this is 
a section of Scripture, like many sections of Scripture, it's an admonition. It is a warning. It is a warning. The Bible is full of warnings. The Bible is full of warnings. Not only that, the New Testament. Look for a moment. Keep something in Hebrews there and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Lest you think uh, it's only in Hebrews you find these warnings. I mean, this is, look what we find in chapter 9 of Hebrews. Um, excuse me, of 1 Corinthians. And he's talking about this wilderness generation. He's talking about, as an example, and he's talking to the people of the body of Christ. This is written to the church at Corinth that Paul founded and nurtured for 18 months. And, he, and this is a mixed congregation of Jew and Gentile. Their, their scripture reference points are the Old Testament that they have available to them. And he, and he refers to that. And if you look at verses 6 to 10, he's clearly talking about the wilderness generation. First, their, their rebellion at Sinai. And then, verse 9, we should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. That was in the wilderness. Do not grumble as some of them did. They were killed by the destroying angel. This is these people of Israel. As a covenant people, they were still a covenant people, but they clearly lost God's blessing. And in this case, there were those who were physically killed. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, Corinthians, body of Christ on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And then, this passage that we all of us that grew up in Sunday school here, at least memorized, or one, or Pioneer Girls, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted Beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. And that wilderness generation, God prepared. What was the way out? He put the snake on the pole. They raised it up and they looked at it. And they were saved, even though they were judged. But they were saved. They were blessed by God. And in fact, in the previous chapter, again, the Bible is full of warnings and admonition. This is part of preaching the whole counsel of God. I don't get to pick and choose. I don't get to pick and choose. And Pastor Gary and Pastor Kevin, when they are preaching and teaching, they don't get to pick and choose what portions. Of, we preach from the entire Bible. And look what Paul says in verse chapter 9 about himself. This is the apostle in verse 25, every, uh, chapter 9. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air, just shadow boxing. No, I beat my body. I make it my slave. So after I have preached to others, I myself will not be what? Disqualified for the prize. Paul is clearly talking about his apostolic ministry here. He's not talking about his salvation. He's not talking about forgiveness for sins. But he is talking about what God has called him to. Not what he's called someone else to, but what God has called him to. And Paul says, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm careful. 
I discipline myself. I'm obedient. I follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm, because I don't want to be in a position where after I have done this and preached to others, all of a sudden I'm disqualified because of my lifestyle and do not receive God's blessing. And that's why Paul can say in, in 2 Timothy, I know that the, 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 the prize, the high calling, it's laid up for me, and I'm going to be, in, I'm going to be with him. Paul talks in Corinthians about the judgment seat of Christ. We don't like to talk about this, but clearly... Friends, clearly, that's, that's for Christians. The Bema Seat is not salvation. It is not forgiveness for sins, but it is a place where Paul clearly says that our motivations, our service to the Lord will be tested. And that which was done for the Lord and was genuine, we're not talking about perfection. I don't want anybody here to say, well, I'm, you know, I guess maybe I'm not a Christian because I haven't served as well or I've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes. Right? You're a little careful saying amen on that one. Okay, all right. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. Gary said amen. Kevin, amen, right? Yeah, okay, all right. All right, we've all made mistakes. Pastor Jim, amen. All right? We've all made mistakes. So listen, what are we talking about? We are talking about our service to the Lord. Is it for us or is it really for Him? You don't know. You don't know my motivation. You don't know my, I, I can put on a good show. You know, you, you, that's one thing you realize after being pastor, after being in the ministry for going on 38 years, well, 38 years, um, it's kind of scary. You can put on a good show, you know, and um, uh, we don't, you don't know, we don't know each other's motivations, but God knows. And at that point, it's going to be shown for what it is. It's going to be shown for what it is. We all realize more than anybody how weak we are and how, how, how failing we are in our human condition. But God's going to be the judge. It's not up to me to judge you, and you're not to judge me in that sense of my motivation for service. It's God who blesses. Clearly, this is a warning. This is an admonition. It's in the Bible. It's okay to talk about. It's not non-grace to talk about the warnings. Paul says this was written for our Admonition. Go back to Hebrews. Now we've got to wrap up here, and this, this is crazy. You've got to wrap this up here in five minutes. But if I can whet your appetite to read this yourself and to study it and to give thought to it, because this is one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture. So what's happening? Okay, here it is. I'm going to give it to you in a nutshell what I think. And I've I, um, uh, com- got a commentary from, from Alex Pierce. It's also a commentary I, I mentioned to you that, uh, Craig, the book you gave me, uh, Mesiology, some years ago. That's big, thick book, same author um, that I have. And he makes, he makes a very strong case, along with Gleason, that I quoted a couple weeks ago, that what we are dealing with here is a community of people, particularly in Palestine, who are really being tempted to go back as believers to what is safe and secure, the Mosaic Law, and the warning is, the warning is, there is a point of no return in terms of blessing. Not in terms of salvation, but in terms of blessing. And that is because what God knew and was prophesying through this author is in three to four years, if that much, it was going to be smashed by the Romans and destroyed. And if they go back to that, they also will be part of that. There is a point of no return in terms of God's blessing. 
and it's an appeal to them to come forward and, and, and do what God is doing now, something new with the, with, with the body of Christ, to, to move ahead what God is doing with, with the church, what God is doing. This, this is my view of this. You don't have to agree with it, but that's, this is my view of it. Because otherwise, what is it then? Is it losing salvation? Could those people saved under the, in the early part of that, could they lose their salvation? Is it a works-based salvation where there's not by the blood of Christ, even while the kingdom was being offered to them? What is it then? I think it's a point at which there, there is a deadline. And you must be careful. This comes up in Scripture. The people in the desert faced this, and they gave up the blessing of God. They passed the point where there was no return physically, but they still were in a covenant relationship with God. Now look, at this is a controversial passage, but what I'm telling you is I don't think it teaches you can lose your salvation because I don't think it's dealing with salvation. I think it's dealing with blessing. You follow what I'm saying? Okay. You don't have to agree with it. Really, you don't. That's our church. We encourage we encourage good Bereans to look at the Word and see if these things be true. Don't ever uh, say this again. I know you get tired of me. It might be someone, maybe you forgot young people. You ever go into church where someone says to you, uh, don't ever challenge what the pastor says. You're in the wrong church. And I have no problem saying that. You have every right to ask questions with respect of authority, but every right to say, wait, no, is this what the Bible, let's talk about this. That's what I'm telling you. This is what we, and, this is what we teach, and this is how we treat your kids and our young people, okay? Now, look at this. Let's, look at this last part here. This is beautiful. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case. Things that what? Accompany salvation. Things that come along with salvation. The blessing of God. God is not unjust. It's an, it's a, it's an admonition. It's an encouragement. Please don't do this. Move forward. God is not unjust. Yes, they'll be persecuted. And these people were persecuted. We haven't been physically persecuted. They were. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him that you have helped his people. And continue. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to what? Make your hope sure. This is the same kind of language Paul uses in Second Timothy. If we deny him, what? He will what? You know what it says? If we deny him, he will deny us. But he cannot what? Deny himself. He is true to his word. And there is denial of blessings. But he will not deny his promise and his, and his covenant and his salvation and his, his redemption to us. But there is a matter of blessing. And it's the same thing. Make it sure. Make it sure. Not in the sense that you accomplish it by works, but the works like in James. In James, where the author, where James says... Was not our father Abraham justified by what? Works when he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. But that is referring to, to Genesis 22, 21, where he says, we're, we're years after Abraham has been declared righteous, that, that Paul appeals to in Romans, in James appeals to his offering his son as Isaac as a public demonstration, he was declared righteous. Now we're going to come back to that tonight. And connect Abraham with this story because it's very, very important as we go into Melchizedek. I know it's a Super Bowl, and, I, and, and if you're going to be having a social time, you know, um, no, everybody feel guilty about not being at church tonight, okay? I know you don't anyway, okay? But um, I get it. I understand. Um, and if it's the Puppy Bowl, that's okay. That's on all night long. That's on until midnight tonight, so you can get that later. Okay, but look at here. 
Make it sure. But he talks about Abraham, and he comes back to the same point. When God made his promise to Abraham, there was no one greater. We're just going to read this, and I'm going to close. I've left you plenty to think about already. I know that. He swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And incidentally, that's a reference to the offering of Isaac. And it connects with James, that the works demonstrate. The works demonstrate your faith. This is the same connection. We'll look at that tonight. Men swear by something greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. But God wanted to make the unchanging nature of this purpose very clear to his heirs. It was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. Now, that's why if you look at Genesis, this is what it says. I'm going to confirm it with my oath. That's why it connects with Genesis and Isaac. God did this by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled take uh, hold of the hope. And the fled here is refuge. The Jews would understand the concept of the cities of refuge in the Old Testament. We have fled. We take hold of the hope offered to us that we may be great. Now, listen, this, is, this, this passage is an admonition. It's a warning, an admonition. It's a plea. And the plea is accompanied by the guarantee of God's care and security. It comes full circle. We who have fled, take hold of the hope offered to us that we may be greatly encouraged. Now look at this. This is beautiful. Take this home with you. If nothing else, take this home with you. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Recognize the song? Huh? It enters the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies in heaven, because we're going to see that later on in Hebrews, where Jesus, who went before us, Jesus never went into the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem. He didn't do that, but he did in heaven. We'll see this. He has entered on our behalf, and now we're back to where we left off. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Next Sunday, we'll talk about Melchizedek. Listen, friends, take this home with you. Yes, I say this unabashedly. I don't like it always because I'm human just like you. I don't like being admonished. I, I would like to be able to just preach and teach, you know, the love of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, which we teach and preach. But it is also balanced as the family of God. And I think you want us to teach your young people and children this, don't you? It is also balanced with the admonition of obedience, of righteous living, of living a life pleasing to God, not perfection, but of taking the grace and the Holy Spirit. It is God who is what? At work in you. If you know that in the King James, say with me. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Yes, that's a mystery. I, don't ask me to. It's a mystery. To will and to do. We are saved by grace, not by works, but we are ordained to walk in good works that God has ordained us to walk in. That is the balance. They're both there. And because of that, you and I, because we are human, and these people, because they were human, and the Apostle Paul in his own life, because he was human, clearly, 
The admonitions and warnings are there for our good. For our good. They should not be offensive. They are there for our good. And there is no better way to live than to know Christ as Savior and to walk in His ways. You know that. You know that. And I think we have in this passage not a threat of losing an eternal standing. I think we have here a warning and an admonition. You have a choice. You go this way and walk with the Lord and continue to grow. You should be growing more, friends, he says. But come on, it's time to move on. Let's do it. He doesn't say it's too late. Let's move. You go back there. Yes, it may be too late to receive God's blessing because it's going to come to an end. And friends, you know, in our lives, you know, you may be at one of those points in your life now, right now, too, that you know it's, it's decision time. I'm talking to believers here today now. You know Christ the Savior. You know the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. And you may be facing something in your life right now. It could be a very serious temptation. Uh, you may be tempted to walk away from your marriage. You may be tempted to, to give up on your parenting. Uh, you may be tempted to give in at work and do something that could make a lot of money. And to not do it could lose a lot of money, but it's not the right thing to do. Listen, friends, there, does, there do come points in our lives. There are decision points. There are decision points. And there is blessing. And the encouragement and the admonition is part of God's word. And it's there for the same reason, parents, you admonish your children. Why do you do that? Why do you waste your time admonishing your children? Why do you do that? Come on, why do parents tell me why? Because you love them. If you didn't love them, you wouldn't care. It's because you love them. And it's because God loves us that these admonitions for God's people, for these believers, and God's admonitions for me and for you are in God's holy word. Yes, I know it's nine after. Sorry. <laughs> That's close. Thank you, guys. Isn't that great? Amen? Amen. Amen. He's your God. He's your Father. If you know Him, as, you know Christ the Savior. And undoubtedly, as Paul says, we are in a spiritual warfare. It's real. Those things aren't made up. It's real. But we are in a side that is going to win. Those of you who are studying Revelation and BSF this year, God bless you. And keep in mind the big picture. God wins and Satan loses. We are already on the winning side. Let's live like that this week. Heavenly Father, I just want to pause and... We've, we've sung to you, we've thought about you this morning, we've read your word, and uh, some challenging things in Scripture. There's going to be different opinions, different insights. It's good for us to work through these things. We all agree how great you are. Why you've chosen to love us that we will never fully understand. You didn't have to. But just like a nation of Israel... You make it clear, just like Abraham, just like Noah, just like Adam and Eve, you chose to love us. And Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit 
will enable us this week to make those choices that reflect your love, starting with those closest to us. If we can't live your love to our husbands and wives, our parents and children, our cousins, our in-laws, our neighbors, uh, we can't do for the world. So may we begin with those closest to us and choose this week to heed your word, to love, to serve, to obey. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.